there is nothing less sophisticated than a beer. We value its lack of sophistication. It's not wine. It needn't come in a glass or even in a bottle. But while there is nothing like a good beer, apart from the alcohol, is there anything really good about it? As we line up at the bar, there are so many other choices. So should that unsophisticated beer be on the chopping list? Episode 4 Beer. Since the late Stone Age, when people began cultivating grain and eating cereal, people have been enjoying drinking beer. Beer happens all by itself, kind of like manna from heaven. Leave your cereal grains or your old bread in a jar and add some water, and the rest will take care of itself. Wine seems to take forever, but with beer, In a very short time, the water miraculously turns into booze. It wasn't until the great Louis Pasteur that it was recognised that it wasn't a miracle. It was actually just the natural yeasts present in the environment, consuming some of the starch that turned into alcohol. Today the process is sanitised and standardised, but it is essentially the same process of fermentation. This process doesn't only happen inside a brewer's vat. Each day some of the sugars we normally eat are also fermented inside our own intestines and this generates our own regular steady drip feed of alcohol. Even for people who never touch a drop in their lives, their intestines probably deliver the equivalent of several beers every day. Obviously we don't walk around drunk all the time, but this is because we all have enzymes in our liver with the capacity to rapidly break down our booze and use it to fuel its functions. In fact, this is probably why we and other animals have developed the capacity to metabolise alcohol in the first place, from times millions of years before our first beer ever got poured. In some people who have major problems with their intestines, the production of alcohol by their own insides can sometimes be markedly enhanced. This rarely means that they have detectable blood alcohol levels even without drinking. This is known as the auto-brewery syndrome, and it is an established legal defence. I kid you not. It was my gut bacteria officer, I swear. I never touched a drop. Hick. Fortunately, healthy people have little or no alcohol detectable in their blood, when they are not drinking. This is because their liver is able to efficiently break down any alcohol made by their gut. At its peak, the liver can get through about 7 grams of alcohol every hour. Because one standard drink contains about 15 grams of alcohol, on average our liver can cope with one drink every few hours without the alcohol levels rising steeply in our bloodstream. However, the rate of alcohol metabolism varies significantly from individual to individual. Some can drink more, some can drink only small amounts before feeling tipsy, all thanks to their liver. Once alcohol is in our blood, there's no going back. 
There's nothing we can do to speed up the rate at which it's broken down. Only time can make alcohol go away. However, this doesn't stop people from giving it a shot. I mean, we try to go for a run, or sweating it out, or taking a hot shower, all sorts of different things, but resistance is futile, as they say. The effects of these kind of things, like running, or sweating, or shower, are tiny at best. One of the most popular home remedies for sobering up is brewer's yeast. Some pubs even sell it over the bar for special emergencies. The idea is that yeast is normally used to make alcohol, so it must also have the capacity to unmake it by reversing the process. So by putting yeast into an alcoholic environment, like our stomach during a party, instead of making alcohol, it gets rid of it, like a second liver. What a great idea. Cool. But while yeast may have the capacity to eat up some of the residual alcohol in our stomach, it actually has little effect on the alcohol that has already passed into our blood or how rapidly we sober up from it. We still can't drive home. But the question of this podcast is not whether or not to drink alcohol. We will cover that tricky question another day. But about two-thirds of all adults drink alcohol at least occasionally, two-thirds of whom will have at least one drink every week, mostly on the weekends. And if we are to have a drink, the important question is, what are we going to have? Should we really be ordering a beer? On the plus side, beer is a fizzy drink. When it's cold and just open, most of those bubbles are dissolved in it. To demonstrate, you can do this experiment. Shake a can of beer really hard after it's been left outside in the sun for about an hour or so. Then, with your arms fully extended, about as far as they can go, pull the tab. Off it goes. And then reflect on what has just happened. And consider drinking that same beer, filling your stomach. What's going to happen? As it warms to body temperature and gets shaken about, just like in the experiment, This is when beer really fizzes, filling our stomach with gas. And this gas forces alcoholic contents of the stomach more rapidly or more efficiently into our intestines, where alcohol absorption is much faster. So cold beer straight from the bottle is more rapidly intoxicating than wine, which has twice the alcohol and half the volume. It's part of the charm of beer and many other effervescent beverages, including, of course, sparkling champagne, which has more dissolved gas than probably five beers combined. Bubbles can help us get drunk faster unless we don't burp first and let the gas out. Imagine that. Burping reduces intoxication. Remember Barney from The Simpsons? He had the idea. At the same time, drinking warm beer served in broad jugs degassing on the table of German beer festivals, or in your local tavern, is actually less intoxicating. Well, at least the first glass is. After that, you're on your own. It has long been thought that red wine is the only drink that can possibly have that provides any benefits to human health. This myth is widely promulgated, but has little basis in fact. The health benefits of red wine are often attributed to its non-alcoholic components, and especially the antioxidant qualities it might have. But beer also contains its own unique antioxidants. Some of these antioxidants may be better absorbed into our body 
than even those found in wine. There are also more B vitamins in beer. That's what the B stands for, maybe. But before you go thinking beer or even red wine is a health drink, the small doses of antioxidants delivered to moderate drinkers is hardly enough and probably unimportant for our health. Besides, if these antioxidants were so good for us, then drinking much more of them would be even better for us. And it definitely isn't. If beer has a downside, apart from belching, there is an obvious link between drinking and growing fat, especially around our waistline. We all know what this looks like, and is commonly known as the beer belly, or love handles, or even a muffin top, a physique curiously resembling how muffins and cupcakes lavishly spill out over the sides of their paper case. It's widely considered to be the best part of muffins, but on humans, hmm. But as we look ourselves in the mirror, the excess fat spilling over the top of our tight pants is usually the first part we poke at and wish we could chop out. The size of our waistline is largely explained by the food we overconsume and our lack of regular physical activity but we'll tackle those in another episode. But yet, despite knowing this, we all know this, most people think as their belt or their skirt slowly gets tighter around their waist, that their drinking is to blame. After all, we have to blame something, don't we? If it's not the chocolate, then alcohol is next on the list of usual suspects. Not only does it have a long criminal history, and a history of bad behaviour at that, it's also in the right place at the right time. For as we get older, we not only tend to get fatter, but we also drink more booze. Go figure. All alcoholic drinks contain calories, almost all of which are usually in excess of our physical requirements. Any calories in excess are stored away in the body as fat. The more calories we consume, the more fat we store. Men are more likely to deposit fat around their waist than women, so big, fat, beer bellies are more common in men than in women, although not exclusively. It is not that women are protected from getting fat, but excess calories often go elsewhere first in women. Some of the extra calories in our drinks come from the alcohol itself. However, unlike other nutrients in our diet, the calories found in alcohol cannot be stored by the human body. Alcohol is toxic, and so must take priority to be burned off, which is what our liver does. But while our liver is busy burning excess alcohol that we drink, it doesn't have the need to burn fat for energy, so a lovely waste is left behind. But the alcohol itself may only be a small part of the weight problem, if at all. In one enviable study, you might want to be enrolled in one like this, researchers fed participants an excess of calories for two weeks, in two different ways. Firstly, you could be in the group that got milk chocolate. Or secondly, you could be in the group that got an equivalent amount of alcohol. The chocolate eaters gained three kilos, about seven pounds. But the drinkers did not get fatter, at least in the short term, despite the fact that their calorie input was much the same as the chocolate eaters. Hmm. So if it's not the alcohol that maketh the belly, then maybe it's what comes with it that counts. After all, while beer drinkers have their obvious beer bellies, wine drinkers really don't. 
even after adjusting for the amount of alcohol that they consume. A likely reason for the beer belly is that, along with the alcohol, beer usually comes with plenty of sugar. For example, an average glass of beer contains at least as many calories as a can of Coke. We all know what soft drinks do to our waistlines, and it should come as no surprise that our bellies are dancing when we have a beer. But you don't see people calling for beer bans or taxes or a warning label that beer makes us fatter, as if we didn't know. Importantly, a glass of red wine also contains about the same number of calories as a glass of beer. White wine has only slightly fewer. However, a beer drinker will generally drink a greater volume of beer than a wine drinker will drink wine. Consequently, for the same amount of alcohol, the extra volume of beer we drink, and the calories contained therein, explains the infamous beer belly. The bottom line is that, actually, the overall health outcomes in moderate, sophisticated wine drinkers are much the same as those in moderate, unsophisticated beer drinkers. Equally moderate, equally healthy. Of course, the lifestyle factors that permit regular but limited intake of alcohol or drinking with meals may be more common with wine drinkers. So there may be more moderate wine drinkers than there are moderate beer drinkers, for example. This is one obvious reason that wine gets all the kudos for good health. However, in the end, it is the people and their behaviour that allows for moderation, not the beverage. Temperance is more than a virtue. At least with the beer, we can safely finish the bottle. For more information about beer and other things that you can do for your longevity, please read The Longevity List by Merlin Thomas, published by Exile Press, available from all good bookstores and from exilepublishing.com. Thank you for listening.